Hey, Cam. Yes, Alex. You ever have any any like weird dreams or recurring dreams? Like like when I was a kid, I, I remember distinctly for some reason having these dreams where I'd like climb over the the second floor balcony and and fall over and it's like right before I landed I'd wake up. You ever, you ever have any weird ones like that? Um, no, no recurring dreams, but like I you know every once in a while I'll have really weird dreams where like. I get in a weird car accident, like nothing like serious where I get hurt, but like, oh no, I've ruined my car. Like that, that sort of situation. Huh? Yeah. Well, that's, that's actually a funny coincidence. Cause last night I had this dream that I was uh, a muffler on the back of a car. And, and let me tell you, I woke up exhausted. Oh my God. Why are we doing this? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Chatting Average Podcast with your hosts, Riley's Race and the Big Chop Man. Welcome to your friendly neighborhood Atlanta Braves Podcast. Welcome to Chatting Average. I'm your host, Alex, joined as always by my trusty sidekick, Cam. How you doing today, Cam? What? Shaking, begging. Oh, you kind of left a little to be desired on that one this week. Uh, I will say that I could have held that note longer last week, but I chose to give you my mercy. <laughs> that was that was actually pretty impressive. I, I don't I don't think I have the pipes to hold a note that long. Oh, I I, I had more to give. <laughs> He's a giver, folks. That's all, right. That's always right. giving. Don't let anybody ever tell you different. <laughs> well, what do you, what are you drinking tonight, Cam? Uh, well, I've been drinking all afternoon, so I've decided to switch it up a little bit, and I'm currently drinking a strawberry milkshake from Hardee's. <laughs> so, a, uh, a sip that's, of milkshake for the working man. I, I think that's a first on the, the Chatting Average podcast. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. First, uh, first appearance of dairy on Chatting Average. <laughs> gonna have to, gonna have to do a, a white Russian one of these days. Well, that's Go. like... Go full Big Lebowski. There you go. <laughs> now, but tonight I'm drinking a uh, a Terrapin Brewing Company Mango Dreamsicle, which is a mango cream IPA. Interesting. It's actually delicious. Okay. Well. Uh, I don't even really know how to describe it. Somehow it does have mango flavor, and it is kind of creamy, but it's totally an IPA. Yeah, um, I've never had any, like, mango, like, beer, um, because I've seen a couple on the shelf, like, mango-infused, you know, beers and whatnot, like, I think, other than, you know, of course, having fresh mango with, you know, certain Latin food, stuff like that, I think the, where I've had mango the most is, like, frozen, like, Italian ice or something like that. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's good. That's stuff. always good. Like, you know, you're hanging out on the beach, and then here comes the cart with the big puffy wheels on it, serving Italian <laughs> ice. Nice. It's good stuff. Good stuff. So, what have you been up to this week? 
Oh, you know, not a whole lot. Uh, work, uh, all that fun stuff. I, I will say that it has been nice having baseball to listen to at the desk in the afternoons. Uh, that that's the probably the best thing about spring training is just having daytime baseball at your disposal every single day. Yeah. Well, un- unfortunately, uh, I work uh, I work in a retail store, and we're we're kind of restricted on our radio stations, so daytime games are are no good for me. Um, but Turns out neither are televised games uh, <laughs> because I yeah. don't get I don't get the channel that the Braves were on today. Ain't I was rather the upset Braves about play that. a game all year. <laughs> uh, in theory, once the regular season comes around and games are starting around seven or seven thirty, I should be able to watch the vast majority of them. But um, for spring training games and by extension, the first two rounds of the freaking playoffs, uh, I don't get to watch the games because they're poorly timed. Well, can we all agree to not <laughs> do postseason baseball at 12 or 1 o'clock in the afternoon? Apparently not. Uh, God, those noon games were rough. Yeah, I, they were rough for everybody. Even if you were, you know, able to actually watch it, it's just... Kind of a hindrance right there in the middle of your day. I was actively ignoring customers in the store uh, during that uh, that game one of the Red Series last season uh, with with the, with the video feed up on my phone, staring at it, saying, just a second, just a second. <laughs> Hang tight, bud. <laughs> Austin Riley's chasing the runner to home. Hang on. <laughs> Oh, that was a great play. <laughs> Max uh, Breed has let the bases get loaded. No! But yeah, I don't I don't understand why, for the most part, we all have to digest our spring baseball uh, in, in the form of 10 second uh, clips on Twitter. Because yeah. th- that's that's really all I've seen. Yeah, I, I will say I was a bit disappointed because. I know in Friday's game, Ozuna apparently made a great catch over in foul territory, like up against the fence and everything, and we didn't get to see that because no uh, no TV cameras. That couldn't have possibly happened. Um, uh, and I know that, and I know that because everybody on the internet was telling me that Marcelo Ozuna is the worst left fielder in the history of baseball. Now, look, sir, a friend of the show, Ben Ingram, described it in vivid, perfect detail. And if there's one person on this on the face of this earth that I trust when it comes to baseball, it is Mr. Ben Ingram. So. Blah, I want to I want to come up with something snarky, but I can't even do it to Ben. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Hey, you you sound very tired tonight, Alex. I. (laughs) <laughs> I, I just I just want to put that out there that I like I, I'm sure I'm sure it might be noticeable. Maybe it's just because uh, you already mentioned it to me, but uh, you sound a little sleepy. Friend. I am a mess. Uh, <laughs> I have um, as as I often talk about, I had uh, I, I play in uh, in tennis leagues. I, I had four matches thanks to some rainouts over the course of the last week, including three in the last four days. And, uh, buddy, let me tell you, I am not in the kind of shape that someone who's playing three tennis matches in four days should be in. Um, I, as soon as we get done recording this today, um, I'm, I'm probably going to fall over and die. 
so if anybody would like to be my new co-host for Chatting Average, uh, now's your chance. Send me a DM on Twitter. Opening uh, coming. We gotta soon. at least come up with a new name. Do we though? Avenge me! <laughs> I, I I I would hate to be haunted by you in in the afterlife. Oh, I would I would haunt the crap out of you, Cam, and you know it. Hey, would you go hang out with uh, Ty Cobb's ghost at the Hall of Fame? You're damn right I would. Remember that? <laughs> Ty Cobb whispering in your ear. Uh, that's, 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 a, that's a fun callback. <laughs> that was great. Um, no, I would I would hang out in the Phillies section. Uh, and anytime fans came through, um, I would just kick them in the ass. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> hey, hey, it was you that cussed this week, not me. <laughs> That's that's light. That's light. That ma- that makes it onto cable television. That's that's, that's true. <laughs> There's not many words that won't make it onto cable TV at this point. That's that's fair. That that's very fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In fact, I was watching Fargo a few months ago, and they just dropped the f bomb right there on FX, and I was like, oh, okay. Huh. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The- the, the standards are, are loosening a bit, it seems. <laughs> like, not that I have any opposition to, you know, some salty language, as you can probably tell by listening to me now, but it did catch me a slightly off guard where I was like, oh, okay, well, <laughs> <laughs> there's that. Yeah. But it was it was actually, I, I'm, I, was, I was doubly disappointed by the fact that I couldn't watch today's Brave Springs training game because... Good Lord, when I saw that lineup drop this morning, I got I got all tingly from my from my head down to my toes. It was basically a, a, an opening day lineup. With, uh, with, yeah, essentially. I mean, you, you take out Lamb as the DH, and yep, that's your opening day lineup. Yeah, and, and I mean, stick Freed in there instead of Morton, probably. Um, but aside from that, like the the entire field was were, were starters in their position, and it was. Wow, that was exciting to see. Yeah, and uh, uh, Freddie batting third with Ozzy right ahead of him. Ozuna behind Freddie, of course. And then you had Darnode and Dansby coming up there uh, after four. And yeah, it was it was, a, it was a good lineup. Good enough to get the win today. Yeah. Uh, Which, uh, of course, all of the Red Sox four runs came against the Braves' B squad because I think all of the starters were out at that point. Love it. Love yeah. it. Well, yeah. uh, the Red Sox are kind of trash, and and we owned them last year too. So even hey, in spring training, you have to expect to beat the Red Sox. Pablo Sandoval had an RBI double today. Panda season. It was great, and it, and it wasn't like actually a, a real deep double, but I mean he he made it a second. He I, I will say out, this, huh? I will I will say this, Pablo potentially best shape of his life. <laughs> and um, i i don't I'm, throw I'm thinking back through history and i'm 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 feeling like that's a fairly low bar yeah so i was hanging out with goldberg a uh, friend of the show this afternoon who is uh, coincidentally primarily a red sox fan although he does enjoy seeing the braves do well uh but he made the comment to me uh right as pablo got that rbi double he said how did you guys get the in shape Pablo and we didn't a few years ago? <laughs> <laughs> Which, to be fair, if you go back and look at Pablo Sandoval when he was on the Red Sox, woo boy. <laughs> um, what what I'm gonna need 
Um, and and friend of the show, Dr. Dreidel, if you're listening right now, um, I, I would uh, I would thank you to call us up at the Chatting Average Hotline and uh, and leave us your season preview for Pablo Sandoval specifically for 2021. <laughs> Um, because if you go back and listen to the 2020 season preview show, uh, he, he just, he was quite a wordsmith in his review of the giants and, and really just gave a, a delightful preview of, uh, of Panda. Yeah, that's good. That is quality content. Hashtag good content. Yes. Um, one other thing, uh, speaking of the internet that I would like to, uh, suggest that everybody does. Uh, is if you're not following any Dodgers or Padres fans, um, <laughs> please do yourself a favor and go do that as quickly as possible because the the hate between the Dodgers and Padres is absolutely delicious right now. Um, they are oh just my. going to town on each other every single day, uh, and and it's it's highly entertaining to watch. Uh, yeah, that, that rivalry, if the on-field stuff is going to be fun, uh, especially after the spring training game yesterday where Bauer closed one of his eyes on the mound and all that fun stuff and called them out on that. The best comment I, I ever saw was the guy who said, yeah, Trevor Bauer pitched a spring training game with one eye closed because he couldn't possibly bring himself to shut his mouth instead. Woof. <laughs> oh man that's pretty good okay let let me me, side note here um and i and i was thinking about this earlier today i you know i i've I've been one to throw little jabs at trevor bauer you know i've I've called him drone boy in the past and i feel like Braves fans have been hating on trevor bauer since before it was cool yeah, I, I've called him a, a, a geek, you know, and that sort of thing. Don't get me wrong. I I think the guy is good for baseball. I I think his antics and the way that he carries himself are great for the sport because it brings eyeballs, you know, to particular players and, you know, and shows that, you know, all these guys have different varying levels of personality and that sort of thing. But I will also say that doesn't mean I have to like him. Right. Well, I'm I'm going to make a, a parallel to professional wrestling here because it's this is what we do. And the, it's good for baseball to have a guy like Trevor Bauer, regardless of whether you love or you hate him, as long as whatever you think about him is a strong emotion in one direction or the other. Yeah. Like you can't you can't not care about Trevor Bauer because because him and everything he does is right in your face all the time. So you either love the guy or you hate him and you're probably talking about it either way. So that in and of itself is very good for baseball. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, is is it kind of over the top for him to have done what he did yesterday? Sure. Absolutely. But it, you know, tonight being Sunday, so coming into tomorrow, you know, where all the talk shows are going to get started back up and you're, you're around the horn and PTI and, you know, shows like that are going to get going again. I guarantee you it's going to be a topic tomorrow. Oh, for it's sure. going to be a, it's going to be a talking point. So, you know, say what you want about the guy, whether you like him or you don't like him. I think ultimately his antics are good for baseball, but 
everybody needs a villain too. And Absolutely. He, it seems as though that he does not mind whatsoever being that guy. Well, and and I also want to I want to bring this I want to I want to bring that point I was making back home. So if if you go and you follow some some Dodgers and Padres fans and you start seeing the the hate around that rivalry before a regular season game between these two teams even gets played, um, I I want that for for us. I feel like as Braves fans we are a bit too uh, fractured in which of our rival teams we hate the most. Depending right. on who you ask, some people would say the Mets, some would say uh, the the Nationals, some might even say the, the Dodgers or the St. Louis Cardinals. But e- either way, there are a lot of different teams that, that our collective hatred is spread out towards. So I am calling on, on all of Braves country to, to unify uh, with me, uh, in hating exclusively the Phillies the most, because why not? I mean, that, those those need to be the the that needs to be the team that everybody focuses their negative energy towards. Okay, I can agree with that. I'll I'll even go one step further than that, Alex. Go for it. I'm gonna say this, and know that this word starts with PH. Man, fuck them. <laughs> I I couldn't agree more. They they're just they're just the worst. But I I think that's what and and I I can say this as you and I being Carolina fans coming out of the Duke game last night where you know Duke got that tail whooped. <clears throat> whooped. Oh my god. <laughs> It it's fun to have a rival that you hate, you know, it may, and, and it might not even be for any particular reason in general. I mean, sure, you could come up with stuff of like, well, I don't like them for X, Y and Z. But Alex, I mean, do you know any Duke fans in real life that you're friends with or actually have a relationship with? Uh, I've, I've, I've had a few over the years at the moment. I can't think of one, but uh, well, right, but some for sure. Yeah, but at no point did you, like, avoid trying to even know that. Per- you know, it's not – sports rivalries aren't necessarily a real thing between – because it's it's fun to have friends who are fans of different teams because then you get to trash talk each other. That's yeah, fun. And, 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 I mean, don't get us wrong. Like, there are plenty of people out there who take a little sports smack talk, you know, too far or take it – too personally when they shouldn't or something like that. But for the most part, they're, they're, they're the outliers, not, yeah. not the rule. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. So uh, last week we, we let you guys know after our this week in baseball history segment that we were going to be doing something a little bit different this week. So uh, Cam, what do you say? We, uh, we pause for a minute and get, get into that. Let's do it. Hey, do you or someone you love have a beard that could use a little TLC? 
Well, we've got some good news for you. We here at the Chatting Average Podcast have hooked up with an ambassador for a brand for just about any man, The Beard Struggle. These guys are celebrating all that is man by providing some of the best products around to get your beard ready for the big leagues. They've got everything from beard oils to balms to combs and tons of other great stuff that is perfect for getting your facial hair looking great. Check them out today at thebeardstruggle.com and use promo code AVERAGE15, that's AVERAGE15, to take 15% off of your first order, compliments of the Chatting Average podcast. All right, so normally each week uh, here on the show, this will be the segment where we do This Week in Baseball History, uh, but we're going to change it up slightly for this episode. Instead, Alex and I want to take some time to talk about three members of the Braves family that we lost during the offseason. We felt it would be appropriate to devote an entire segment to all three of them, um, even though really all three of them could have a segment unto their own. Uh, But we figured this week would be a fun week to uh, talk about all of them. So to start off with, we're going to go with uh, Phil Necro, who we lost on December 26th, uh, just before the end of the year. And all of which uh, we're going to read this week, you can find at BaseballHall.org, which actually, if you've never visited their website, it's pretty neat. Every single member of the Baseball Hall of Fame has their own page, uh, some really neat bios and interesting facts, some uh, career snapshot type things. So uh, go check that out. Um, But it starts out with uh, a quote from Bob Uecker, uh, who you may remember was a catcher in the Braves organization for some time. And uh, he said, catching Necro's curve, knuckle, I'm sorry, catching Necro's knuckleball was great. I got to meet a lot of important people. They all sat behind home plate. <laughs> 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 and so, uh, so yeah, Phil Necro, of course, was a famed knuckleballer uh, that played for the Braves. Uh, he was inducted to the Hall of Fame in 1997. Uh, and going back to Bob Euchre, I think he had another story about, uh, about Phil Necro where uh, the Astros, I believe, were in town in Atlanta. And, of course, you know, Phil's brother Joe played for the Astros. Both of them were knuckleballers, of course. And Euchre um, was behind the plate catching Phil that weekend and, you know, talking about how difficult it is to catch a knuckleballer. He said that uh, Phil and Joe's parents got seats back behind home plate, and Euchre uh, said that he saw their parents more than they did that weekend. So... <laughs> <laughs> um, but just a, a quick little interesting story here. Um Phil was taught the knuckleball by uh, by as a youngster by his father, and uh, he made the decision to uh, throw it exclusively in the minor leagues, committing his future to a pitch that was completely unpredictable. After four years in the minors and another spent in the U.S. Army, Necro made the Milwaukee Braves opening day roster in 1964. But it wasn't until three years later when the team, now in Atlanta, finally committed to giving Necro regular work. He responded with an 11-9 record and a big league best 1.87 ERA and was on his way to becoming a star. Man, so, got to get, get Nuxy some run support there. Had yeah. a, a sub-2 ERA with an 11-9 record. Those are some Felix Hernandez Mariners numbers right there. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, so he played for the Braves uh, from 1966 to 1983 and then came back again and played for them in 1987 uh, toward the end of the season. At a total, he played 864 games, uh, finished with a career 335 ERA through 245 complete games in his career. Wow. And through <laughs> 40, 45 shutouts. 
Good Lord. Okay, Cam, so uh, you know how I like to put you on the spot with some uh, some quick research. Sure. So uh, does Necro hold the record for most complete games? Doubt it. That That is bound to be a very old record from, like, dead ball era baseball. Um, most complete games in history. While I look this up, uh, Alex, tell me about your experience with Phil Necro or if you – you know, remember anything about him, or do you ever happen to run into him or anything? Oh no, unfortunately not. I I, I wish I'd had the opportunity to, because uh, everyone I've ever heard talk about the guy just just shares the most glowing stories. Um, you know, it, obviously, but before even my time, as old as I am, um, but you know that was all of these guys we're talking about today. Um, the 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 joy of them for me is that they they connect me and my baseball fandom with like my dad and my uncle and their baseball fandom and and you know while their passing is obviously a tragic event and and, and something we would never have wanted to happen uh, it 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 gave all of us something to talk about uh, and and we got to reminisce a little bit about uh about the the greatness that was all three of these guys yeah yeah absolutely um so the most complete games in history is uh cy young with 749 wow yeah i, I told you it was going to be <laughs> like dead ball era um so just because so you know not, not close uh is what you were what you're saying here no no not at all but i mean still 245 complete games 45 shutouts in your career, that's uh, very impressive. Very, that is impressive. very impressive. And and I also want to take this moment to say that uh, it is. I wish that some knuckleballer could find their way back into the league. Yeah, I, it's I, <laughs> like even like Tim Wakefield or, or R. A. Dickey. Like I always loved watching those guys because it was edge of your seat baseball. Like they don't know where the ball is going. Matter. <laughs> where the ball's going. Uh, <laughs> no, and, and, you know, they're... It's fun. <clears throat> I, think, I think there's an old interview of R.A. Dickey, like on David Letterman or something, back when baseball players actually went on talk shows and, you know, were personalities and that sort of thing. But I think he, he talks about how, you know, he, he kind of goes to the mechanics of, like, how a knuckleball actually works and that, you know, you don't actually, uh, you know, try to force the ball. You more or less push it with your two fingertips, which is, you know, in and of itself seems like an incredibly difficult task, you know, that you're coming down with your arm, but you're trying to push out with your fingers, that sort of thing. But he explains that he explained that on days that that pitch works, he's nearly unhittable. But then on days where that pitch just isn't working, it's going to be a short night. Yeah. Yeah. My, my So my dad was actually, uh, a pitcher all through all through high school and into college. He went to uh, to Marietta College in Ohio and uh, pitched pitched D three ball for them. Um, and and he always talked about the knuckleball in particular and like tried to teach me the grip and stuff like that. Uh, at the time, my my hands weren't nearly big enough to to pull that grip off, but um, it's. It, it was clear to me how impactful that pitch was at a time. 
Yeah. Ob- obviously, it's not the case anymore today. There, there are new, more, more powerful pitches that have taken over, but um, that pitch made a massive impact on on several generations of baseball players. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, heck, it, you know, every once in a while, I'll, I'll be able to get outside with somebody and you know, play catch or whatever, and. The knuckleball is like one of those pitches that, you know, while you're tossing back and forth, you always try to see if you can actually do it because it's it, it's just it, it's one of those more mysterious pitches in all of baseball, if not the most mysterious, because it's it's just hard to explain, you know? Yeah, it's it's just crazy. Like, I, I still don't even understand how the ball floats around the way it does when a good knuckleball is thrown. Yeah, and like so I understand that it's not spinning. Maybe it's the the wind resistance off of the the uh, the seams when it's not spinning uh, that does that to it. But it's just it's it's so crazy to watch. Yeah, I mean, and and we're and we're talking about a guy that made his career on that pitch, except for one instance, which takes me into my next story. So. Uh, with 268 wins under his belt, Necro signed with the Yankees as a free agent following the 1983 season. He would win 32 games with New York over two seasons, including his 300th on October 6, 1985. Necro pitched a four-hit shutout against the AL East champion Toronto Blue Jays that day, not throwing a knuckleball until the last pitch of the game when he struck out Toronto's Jeff Burroughs. Wow. I can't remember what the exact background on that story is. I believe I've heard that he he just he made a bet with somebody that he wanted to see if he could do it. So he threw a full game, you know, four hit shutout and didn't throw a knuckleball until the very last pitch of the game. <laughs> that's that's a boss move right there. Absolutely. Uh, so uh, just, just finishing up uh, uh, the biography here, uh, the Yankees released Necro toward the end of spring training in 1986, but he quickly hooked up with the Indians where he won 11 games and pitched 210 innings at the age of 47. (laughs) He retired following the 1987 season with his 318 wins, combining with brother Joe Negro's 221 to give them the most victories by any brother combination in big league history. Phil Necro finished his career with five all-star game selections, five gold glove awards, and 716 games started, which ranks number five on the all-time list. That's amazing. So longevity, consistency, and a pitch as smooth as silk. Cool. (sighs) Rest in peace, Nuxie. Yeah, I'd, well, w- when you have a statue outside of a stadium, you've you've done all right. Yep, and there there aren't there's not like a statue garden. There aren't a ton of people with statues at 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 Truist Park. No, no, there's not. Uh, you've got you've got Spawn, you've got Necro, you've got Bobby, and you've got Hank, and I think that's it, isn't it? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, Hank's inside. The other three are outside. I'm sure Chipper will probably get one one day. Well, uh, we got him back in a Braves uniform, so presumably they would have to wait until uh, until he's no longer involved in the game. True, true. That is true. All right. Uh, so moving on from that, uh, on January 19th of uh, just this year, so uh, about a month and a half ago, we lost Hall of Famer Don Sutton 
Um, so Don never played in Atlanta. However, he was a longtime member of the Braves broadcast team and a member of the Braves family. So figured we would talk about him a bit as well. Uh, Don was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1998. Uh, funny little quote that Don had was, my mother used to worry about my imaginary friends because I would be out in the backyard playing ball. She worried because she didn't know a Mickey or a Whitey or a Yogi or a Moose or an Elston, but I played with them every day. That's really cool. Don, you know, Don Sutton lived and breathed baseball. You, you could hear it in his voice and whenever he was calling a game. And, and that's my only experience with him. Um, of course, he, he retired before I was ever born, so I never saw him actually play. So I knew him as one of the Braves radio guys and thoroughly enjoyed his personality, uh, his, how quick of a wit he had, um, you know, how humorous he could be, especially his spring training games. Um, to listen to him call spring training where he could definitely be more loose and relaxed. Um, you know, he would almost talk to fans during the middle of a broadcast. <laughs> you know, he, he would kind of lean out the window and almost talk to him. Like, especially if a foul ball came back over the screen, he'd lean out the window and say, hey, you got to catch that. You know, like just, <laughs> just somebody who just, I think, had a life for the game, you know, just that that was truly his passion and truly what he enjoyed um and i actually got to meet don sutton um and when he passed away i threw this out you know in a in a tweet but uh i met him at chop fest a couple of years ago and i think i caught him at a bad moment because he was in between um appearances or something and uh, I walked over to him and i said uh, hey mr sutton uh, my name's cam happy to meet you and he introduced himself and asked where I was from and, and that sort of thing. And then I said, you know, may I get a photograph with you? And he turned me down. Um, he, <laughs> he turned me down for a photo. But the way that he said it, you know, I couldn't help but kind of walking away smiling because he was like, oh, kid, you don't want a picture with an old man like me. I, I, I got to get going. But, hey, you take care and have fun, OK? And then <laughs> went on his merry uh, way. That's just I mean, uh, that's a perfect way to turn somebody down. Like you can't oh, yeah. do it better than that. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, I, you know, I probably caught him at a bad time. He probably was running behind in between events, at, you know, that day. And, but, you know, I have a story now to tell moving forward that, you know, Hey, a hall of famer turned me down for a photo, but it was great. Like, that's just, that's just fun <laughs> stuff. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, so uh, just some just some quick facts about uh, Don Sutton. Uh, during a remarkably consistent career, Sutton win, went 324 and 256 and struck out 3,574 batters. He began his career as a member of the Dodgers rotation with fellow Hall of Famers Sandy Koufax and Don Drysdale, helping Los Angeles win the NL pennant in his rookie season. In 16 seasons with Dodgers, Sutton pitched on five pennant winners. Man. Uh, Sutton was the picture of consistency. He won at least 11 games and had 100 strikeouts in 21 seasons. His best season may have been in 1972 when he went 19 and 9 and threw nine shutouts. He led the National League with a .913 whip and was named to the All-Star Game, the first of four times he would earn, he would earn All-Star honors. And that's when he passed and then, you know, folks were offering their tributes. Consistency is the word that I kept hearing 
um, just consistent. You know, this is a guy who played for 22 seasons in in the bigs. Uh, he retired with a career ERA of 3.26. Uh, 178 complete games, 58 shutouts um, through, you know, you're talking about a guy who just might not have been the flashiest, might not have thrown the hardest, but day in, day out, went out and got got his work done and you knew what to expect from him. And that got him into the Hall of Fame. Well, and, and here's something that I found that that blew me away. So so if you think about the Dodgers as a franchise, and, and like, just think about all the names of pitchers that have gone through there from uh, Clayton Kershaw, obviously, currently to like Oral Hershiser and Sandy Koufax and Don Newcomb and uh, all these just unbelievable pitchers. Fernando Valenzuela. Fernando Valenzuela. Yeah. Um, Don Sutton still leads the Dodgers all time in wins, innings pitched shutouts and strikeouts that's that's just insane now that's 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 gonna change relatively soon uh kershaw is only 170 strikeouts behind sutton um he could he could conceivably uh get that mark this year um but I, i mean this this far removed from his playing years to to still hold all those records for a franchise like the Dodgers is, is crazy. Right. And and just along those lines of, of impressive. So, so a quick entry here. Sutton was known for his durability, never missing his turn in the rotation over 756 starts. Third most all time behind Cy Young. And Nolan Ryan. Third most starts. Third in the history of baseball. Cy Young, (laughs) Nolan Ryan, Don Sutton. Okay, so what was what was that number that you gave me earlier for how many complete games Cy Young had? Like seven hundred seventy or something like that? Correct. He started eight hundred and fifteen (laughs) games. Yeah. Yeah. He had less than 100 games that weren't complete games. Uh, yes, I, I, <laughs> there's a reason there's an award named after him. Yes, yes it is. <laughs> like, there's a reason that the top pitching prize in all of baseball is named after Cy Young. It'll eventually uh, be the Ian Anderson Award, but for now, he, there he's, you go. he's deserving of it being the Cy Young. Uh, so, uh, j- just to end on a, on a fun little quote from Don, um, Don credited his work ethic to watching his father, who was a sharecropper in Florida. He said, quote, other kids my age were playing for fun. I was playing to get to the big leagues, end quote. Love it. Good stuff. Good here's, stuff. A, here's one last stat that I stumbled across that's pretty impressive. So he pitched for 21 seasons. Right. There was only one season in his entire career where he did not pitch 200 innings. That's 20 out of 21 seasons through 200 innings or more. Mr. Consistency. Absolutely. All right. Uh, We're going to move on to our last one here. And this one, we're probably going to talk about the longest. Um, 
So, sadly enough, three days after we lost Don Sutton, uh, on January 22nd of this year, we lost Mr. Hank Aaron. Um, Braves icon, baseball icon, and American icon, if you will. Uh, Boxing legend Muhammad Ali once called Hank Aaron, quote, the only man I idolize more than myself. (laughs) So... Alex, where where do where do we start on talking about Hank? Oh man, it it, it it's hard. I mean, we we could do we could do and we probably will do stats and and baseball stuff all day, but um I mean behind maybe only Jackie Robinson, I I don't think there was there was anybody in the world of baseball that that had as much of an impact uh, on people of color as it pertained to the game of baseball uh, as Hank Aaron. Um, it's it's it, it's truly unbelievable what that man was able to endure, uh, especially as he was uh, starting to approach Babe Ruth's record, um, and, and still just you know be able to go out there and and do what he always did. Uh, as if nothing was happening, and and the man's receiving death threats on a daily basis. And I think the thing to keep in mind here is that, you know, we're we're talking about the early 70s, where you know it, when I guarantee you, athletes today probably rece- whether they actually see them or not, probably receive death threats all the time in their DMs or or whatever. But I think you can take those with a grain of salt, giving you know. You you can you can't even get into a stadium unless you're ha- unless you have a clear bag, you know, with all your contents in it. But we're talking about the 70s. Things were a lot different back then. Oh, you could probably and, have brought a rocket launcher into the stadium if you'd wanted to back then. You know, and, and we're talking about, you know, at this point, the Braves are in Atlanta, but America is still not that far from segregation ending. Not at all. I mean, we're less than 20 years after after the fact. You know, it hasn't even been two decades since segregation was abolished. So you're you're talking about still a very tense time in in America, and particularly in the Deep South, where Hank grew up. You know, Hank grew up in Mobile, Alabama, and told countless stories of seeing the you know the Ku Klux Klan marching down the street in front of his house, and his mother having him hide underneath the bed as they rolled by his house. You know, you're talking about a guy who who told countless stories of, to your point, the constant letters and pieces of mail that he received that, you know, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you and your family. These were very real threats. I think more real than what what might be considered today. And yet the guy went out and did his job and did what he was born to do and was damn good at doing it. One of one thing I saw about him and, and Cam, if, if you know differently, correct me if I'm wrong, because uh, I, I don't have this in front of me. It's just coming off the top of my head, but there, there was a picture of Hank at the train station. Uh, and the story was that he didn't even have a, pair of his own shoes to to walk in to get to his very first Negro Leagues game. Um, so he was wearing a pair of his sister's shoes 
at the train station to take him to his first game. Like this, <laughs> this is a man who came from literally nothing to to become one of the great American icons of of our time. And, and I mean, yeah, that so that that was a, that was a story that he told in the booth uh, two or three years ago uh, with with Chip and Joe that his sister gave him a pair of her shoes so he could go play baseball in the Negro leagues. Um, a great photo of him standing there at the train station. Uh, you know, a young Henry Aaron, you know, being the name that he actually preferred to be called, you know, Hank was more of the name of the legend, but Henry was his name. And that's what he preferred to be called. You know, a young Henry Aaron leaving everything that he knew, you know, leaving a town that, who knows if he ever actually left it at any point in his life up until that point to go try to play baseball, a game that as good at, you know, as, as great as he ended up being at it is not necessarily a game. He had much training in at that point either. You know, he, yeah. told, he, he has told stories that he did. He played batting practice with bottle caps. I mean, you, you know, he that like, of course, training back then, even for the privileged, wasn't what it is today. But no. it's even less so for a man like Hank Aaron. Um, he, he 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 essentially had to build himself into the player that we all know today. And there aren't a lot of guys who could have done that. No, no, there aren't. There aren't. And just natural raw talent. Uh, if you go back and watch clips of, of his swing, he had these unbelievably quick hands and wrists. And that's where he attributed his success to is how quickly he could get his wrists around on the ball. Um, you know, his swing almost like a whip. It's so fast because he wasn't necessarily a big guy either. And yet you know, I think the most common perception of Hank Aaron is that he was a power hitter, um, you know, which when you look more of his more at more of his stats from his career is not necessarily the case. I think, you know, the stat that everybody likes to throw around is that if you remove all 755 home runs, he still has over 3000 base hits. That's that's crazy. He I, I've heard just, it a million times and and at no point have I ever not been amazed by that. It, it's it's just just crazy to think about. I mean, he he was just the model of consistency. I mean, he, he's the he's still the all-time leader in baseball in RBI. He he's still the total base leader in all of baseball. It, you know, you're you're talking about a guy who's known for the home runs, but all all around, he was just a consistent hitter. And then that's not to be that's not to overshadow how good of a defensive player he was too. You don't hear a lot about that. But there are several clips out there of him making very athletic catches and throws in the outfield. Um, I, as crazy as it sounds and as crazy as it may be to say, as much of a legend that Hank Aaron is, you know, as much as you might put him in the top three to five players of all time, which I think is a very easy thing to do, he still might be underrated. Yeah, it's distinctly possible. You know, it's it, it's it's crazy to say it that way, but you know, despite everything that we know about the guy, he still might be underrated for how he's perceived. 
Yeah, and I mean, it's it's crazy to me that that's the case, considering the impact that this guy had on on America and the world as a whole off of the field. Yeah, like it it would have been so easy to 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 flip that narrative and make him the the most appreciated baseball player of all time, which which I I, I contend that he should have been. Um, I mean, this this man was was a civil rights icon in addition to being a baseball icon, the one of a, a very deserving recipient of the Presidential Medal of Freedom. I mean, he's in in the world of baseball. You know, I think we like to hear stories about, you know, Babe Ruth, particularly. There are so many, you know, tall tales urban legends about Babe Ruth, you know, akin to how, you know, people might talk about Andre the Giant in the world of wrestling. That, like like the one where he hit the home run into the train and then the train went <laughs> like right, ten right. down. Yeah, you know, there's there's all these stories and these legends like that. You know, people talk about these these individuals like they're just these larger than life people. Uh, like Paul Bunyan esque kind of kind of stories. Right. Exactly. But I think as time goes on, you know, especially now that he's passed and he's not necessarily here to tell his own story anymore. I think Hank Aaron is going to become more and more of that, you know, folklore type figure. But all of it's true. You know, here you've got a guy that you couldn't write this story better. You, you have somebody that literally comes from the absolute bottom of Mobile, Alabama, in the very, very much segregated, you know, aggressive deep south at the time, who, with just a few dollars in his pocket, jumps on a train, and you know he didn't have a great seat, jumps on a train to go take a chance at playing baseball. And within, you know, a year or two, all of a sudden, he gets discovered, and if you've ever seen the scouting report for Hank Aaron, it's honestly hilarious because one of the notes says something along the lines of, you know, good player could be a difference maker. <laughs> you you know, just very, just very kind of nonchalant note about him. He's given a chance. He's taken up to the city of Milwaukee where, you know, it's still not necessarily a huge city by any means at this point, as far as media coverage and that sort of thing. It definitely wasn't in the 1950s. He gets put on this this team in Milwaukee and just slowly starts becoming the consistent player that we know him to be. He wins the World Series in 1957 along with the MVP award. People claim that uh, 1957 might have been his very best season. He hit 322 that year with 44 home runs, the most that he ever hit in a single season. Despite the fact that he hit 755 home runs across his career, he never once hit 50 in a season. That's just how consistent he was. Uh, he, you know, he hit the 300 mark 14 different seasons. He had 30 home runs in 15 different seasons, 90 RBI in 16 different seasons, three Gold Glove awards, 25 All Star game selections. And then the team moves to the deep south as he is quickly approaching at the time and what you still could consider to be the almighty record in all of baseball held 
by the biggest giant that this game has ever seen in terms of lore. Yeah, I, I, the 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 thing I just found that that kind of spells it out is that there are there are two people who have permanent single player exhibits in the National Baseball Hall of Fame. And that's of course Babe Ruth and Hank Aaron. I you know, I, I think that tells you everything you need to know right there. Yeah. He 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 was he was larger than life, but soft spoken at the same time. You know, I always I it was such a treat getting able uh, being able to see him get into the booth on occasion for Braves games. Uh, yeah. And, and just just to hear him talk about anything he wanted to talk about. And, and the the one that always stuck out to me um, was he was in the booth. I, I, I think it was with. Uh, 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 John Shambi and Alex Rodriguez. And I'm, uh, anyone who knows me knows I am not a fan of Alex Rodriguez, but he, he helped make a, a great moment. So uh, Hank was talking about his swing uh, and specifically how he grips the bat. So if you go and you grab a baseball bat, if you're, if you're right-handed, you're, you're going to have your left hand on the bottom, right hand on top. Uh, and vice versa if you're left-handed. Uh, Hank, completely in reverse. Yeah. Because of yeah. because of his lack of formal training early on, he developed his own swing, uh, where where it, it, what you would think is his is his bottom hand was on top and and the other way around, and, and it just goes to show you like what a self-made man he was. Like it didn't matter that that wasn't, you know, the textbook way to swing a baseball bat he just figured out a way to swing a baseball bat and did it better than anybody else has ever done it you know it, you make it work you know you yep. just you you make it work he like like we talked about he had no formal training he was a very raw player on a whim going and trying his luck at baseball and you know somehow he became an american icon it's just unbelievable to see and then you know to kind of start wrapping it up you you look at the moment of him hitting 715 and just everything going around in that moment so you know for instance he hits 714 i believe on opening day of that season and the Braves weren't going to be home until like two or three days later. And so they they kind of kept Aaron out of the game for the next couple of days because they wanted him to be able to hit it at home in front of the home crowd. And then April 8, 1974, uh, against the Dodgers, he puts one out into the bullpen. And just how ironic is it that, you know, we are able to experience that moment with, Vin Scully calling yes. because they just happened to be playing the Dodgers. That you was, know. that was something that I actually, uh, I, and maybe I should have been, but I wasn't aware of until recently. And, um, like I mentioned on last week's episode, uh, Hank Aaron passed away. Uh, the news came out actually, as I was driving to, to close on the new house. So when we closed and we came over here, 
Uh, my parents came over to, to help us out a little bit. And of course, my dad and I started talking about Hank Aaron. Um, and we got to the subject of uh, of that home run. And and my dad was like, basically said what you just said. How amazing was it that that Vin Scully got to got to make that call? I I, I had no clue. We had we had to Google it because I, I even got him doubting himself. But um, that's that's something that that transcends generations. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's just it's it's an unbelievable moment to watch and you know, then consider that he he's in almost in the twilight of his career at that point cuz you know, believe it or not, it takes a long time to get to 715 home runs. Uh yeah. there's a reason that there's only been two players to actually do it at this point. And he still goes on to hit 40 more in his career finishing at 755. You know, it. He was just. It, it's unbelievable just how consistent he was. But then, you know, moving away from the baseball field, especially into his retirement years, how much he just gave back to the community, to the Braves organization. You know, he spent years overseeing the the farm system. Um, if I'm not mistaken, he was overseeing the farm system when Chipper was drafted. You know, you're talking about a guy who gave his life to baseball, who accomplished a great many, you know, great accomplishments, but never once took credit for it. You know, yeah, never as, once as, as seemed to brag about guy it. as as you would ever see. Just the the antithesis of like a Reggie Jackson or a Muhammad Ali or something like that. Yeah, he was he was ah oh man, he was just he was he was the guy that you want every baseball player to to be. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think the best way to wrap this up and and, and this is included in in his Hall of Fame uh profile on baseballhall.org. It was shortly after Hank Aaron's record-breaking home run that Georgia Congressman Andrew Young declared, quote, Through his long career, Hank Aaron has been a model of humility, dignity, and quiet competence. He did not seek the adoration that is accorded to other national athletic heroes, yet he has now earned it. Man. Look, guys, obviously Cam and I want the Braves to win the World Series every year. Uh, We wanted it last year. We wanted it the year before that. We'll want it next year and the year after that. But if it were to happen this year, uh, given given these three guys that we just talked about passing away, uh, I I don't think there could or would ever be a year as as special for it to happen as 2021. No. No. No, I, I don't I don't believe so. Uh, you know, just like we were saying about Hank Aaron's legacy, you couldn't write it any better. Well, if it happens this year, I don't think you could write it any better. Yeah. So to to all of the the Braves front office employees and players who who listen to this show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we know you're listening. Let's let's go get it, guys. Uh, let's do do it for 44. 
Let's do it. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back to talk about uh, the plans that we've got for the rest of spring training. All right, everybody, the voicemail lines are dry this week, but if you want to get something in for us for next week, ask us any questions, have any criticisms, uh, make any comments, you can hit us up uh, via voicemail or text at 678-242-9408. So to wrap up the show, uh, we're going to give you a little bit of an idea of what to expect for the next three weeks leading up to opening day. Uh, So Cam, take it away. All right, so we have, uh, not counting this week's episode, we have three episodes left before we hit opening day on Thursday, April 1st. So, in doing that and looking at the schedule for that, we're going to have central, or we're going to have division by division previews for the next three weeks. So, starting next week, we're going to preview the NL and AL West, followed up by the next episode where we'll preview the NL and AL Central. And then our last episode before opening day, we will be previewing the NL and AL East. And in the course of each of those episodes, we'll be giving some loose predictions at the very least of how we think things will fare. We'll be covering some uh, big news for each of the teams in those divisions, that sort of thing. And uh, just kind of giving our overall thoughts on the upcoming baseball season. So join us, won't you? Oh, Cam, quick question for you. Sure. Uh, when we're making those predictions, yes, are we going to be making any wagers that you don't intend to pay off? Doubtful. <laughs> I've learned my lesson. <sighs> Give it time. You're that guy. I've given it a time. It's been like eight months. You can't rush art. Yes, you can. Get me those new T-shirt designs, damn it. They're coming. They're coming. <laughs> Don't worry. Yeah, so you'll see our new T-shirt designs in spring of 2023. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Is this show going to be around that long? <laughs> At this rate, who knows? <laughs> One of us is bound to quit before then, right? Absolutely. All right. (laughs) That's going to do it. That's going to do it for this week's episode. Uh, For Cam, my name's Alex. We'll see you all next week on another brand new episode of the Chatting Average Podcast. Bye. With that, we've reached the end of the show. If you want to connect with the show, you can contact us via text or voicemail at 678-242-9408 or on Twitter at Average Chatting. If you enjoy the show, please consider becoming a patron at www.patreon.com slash chatting average. We'll see you all next week on another brand new episode of the Chatting Average Podcast.